Have you ever been accused of being too picky? I have. Uh, but that you've got to be picky about certain things, right? Certain things you just you can't be too picky about. I mean, when you're going to choose the one that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, well, you better be picky. You only got one shot at this, right? Or at least you're only supposed to take one shot. I'm not a big shopper. I'm a get-in, get-out kind of guy. Uh, when it comes to uh, most things that I'm going to be purchasing, I would rather be just checking it off the list rather than worrying about what kind of brand I'm buying or, or even how much it costs. Coupons? Not a chance. I'm going to get it done. Shopping is, is a mountain to conquer, not a cruise to enjoy. But when it came to the person that I was going to drop to my knee in front of, I knew that I couldn't just settle for anyone. And that has nothing to do with me thinking that I was somehow uh, special. It wasn't that I was looking for someone who was worthy of me. On the contrary, it was more about just trying to find someone who could actually stand me. Uh, yeah, so um, I, had, I had a list of sorts. Uh, a job description that was kind of up here, things that I was looking for. Here are a few of the questions that I was uh, looking to answer. Was she pretty? That was kind of a no-brainer. Was, uh, was she taller than me? I, I couldn't have that. Uh, did she smell funny? Did she have really weird long fingernails? That was something that was just kind of a, a thing for me. Or have weird makeup tendencies. I, 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 could, I couldn't. Was she older than me? Mm, I'm not so sure. I needed to have the upper hand in this relationship. At least one year's worth of wisdom uh, beyond uh, my, my future spouse. Was she smarter than me? Hmm. <laughs> I, see, I realized that if I was going to get anywhere in life, I was going to have to find someone that had just a, a few more ounces of gray matter than myself. <laughs> it, the, the trick was... Find someone smarter than you and yet dense enough to actually want to go out with me. Uh, did she have annoying habits? Did, did she believe the same thing, things as me? Was Christ not just part of her life, but the source of her life and the core of her life? And then, of course, there was probably the most important question, uh, how did she feel about owning pets? And if you know anything about me, then you know which way she needed to answer that question. What would you put on the list? What would you put on the list? You've got to think about this stuff, right? This stuff matters. This stuff is really important. It makes a, a difference in your life. And if you don't think carefully about it, well, you may end up making a decision that you are going to regret for a long, long time. Who you're going to marry, that's one of the most important decisions, but there are other important decisions, right? There's, there's where you're going to live, what kind of a job you're going to have, what kind of a school maybe you're going to go to. Those things matter, and I think most people would agree with me that they matter, but what might surprise you is the one decision that I believe is the most important decision, then it's more important than all those other decisions combined. And the reason is that that decision has an impact that reaches far deeper, that goes further, that is longer lasting than anything else. And that is the decision 
about what church you are going to be a member of. Surprised? What church are you going to be a member of? Apart from placing your trust in Jesus Christ, there is no decision that, that is more crucial to your existence. What church are you going to be a member of? Notice I am not asking what church are you going to go to. That's not the question. The Bible doesn't talk about going to church so much as it talks about gathering as the church. Church isn't supposed to be just a meeting or an event that you attend. It's, it's a family, right? It's a body. It's a people that you belong to. When we first place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into his family. You now have ties that bind you together with other people that are stronger than DNA. It's the blood of Jesus and his Holy Spirit living within you that unites you with fellow believers in a stronger, more intense, um, more meaningful way than any amount of, of plasma or platelets or red or white blood cells. Not only do we have those, common, uh, those commonalities, the blood of Jesus covering over our sin and the Holy Spirit marking us inside, Peter tells us that those who are in Christ have a sacred calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he says, The saints have been called together. Then in, in verse 9, he says, you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul compares it to, to being in a body, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, body isn't just made up of one part, right? It, it's one body, but it has all of these different parts that make it up. And when you place your trust in Christ and his spirit makes his home inside of you, you become members of that body, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, you might be thinking, yes, I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ. I have been made part of that body. I'm a member of the church. I'm a member of the universal church. I'm part of that family of believers that goes way, way back and exists now and that goes into the future. And it's not just here in this room, but it's all over the place. It's everywhere. Isn't that all that matters? Maybe you're thinking, you don't need to be a part of a local church. Maybe some of you that are, are, are watching this online, local churches have problems, don't they? <laughs> I mean, local churches is where, that's where people get hurt. And, and how on earth are, are, are pastors and elders or church leaders supposed to determine whether or not the people even in the local church are even believers to begin with? I mean, maybe there's people here in this room that don't even know Jesus Christ. You know, all those points are, are valid. They're valid. I mean, only God truly knows who is in and who is out, who is saved and who is unsaved. 
people do sometimes get hurt in the church. Anyone been hurt before? I'm one of them. Local churches, they aren't perfect. They have lots of problems, don't they? Sometimes they're very inefficient. Sometimes they do things that just don't make sense. Sometimes it's not, it's not ideal. Our church is no exception. But being a member of a local church is actually something that is crucial for everyone who's a member of the universal church. And that's because local churches are where Christians help each other live out their faith in tangible and practical ways. The writer of Hebrews, he wrote this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So right before this, the writer tells us that we're to hold fast to our our confession of of hope without wavering. And he addresses now how we should relate to each other. Who we are and what we do together as the church is fundamental to the Christian life. Living the Christian life is not meant to be just Jesus and me. It was never meant to be that. Life in Christ and life in the church, they go hand in hand. Notice uh, 1025, not neglecting to meet together. Is he talking about meeting with the universal church? Is he telling Christians that they need to be meeting with the universal church and do not neglect meeting with the universal church. Have you ever looked at one of these? Oh my goodness, this takes me way back. And now I'm reminded I need to get this book for my kids because it will drive them crazy just like it drove me crazy. And if it's one thing that a parent needs to do, it's, it's inflict the same amount of pain on their kids as it was inflicted on them, right? <laughs> is, is, is the writer of Hebrews telling us that we shouldn't neglect meeting with the church as a whole? Of course not. Now, we're told in the book of Revelation that there's coming a day when we're all going to be brought together, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that day hasn't come. It hasn't come yet. And it'd be ridiculous and impossible to command such a thing for Christians to have to, have to do now. The call here in Hebrews is for us to live in community with other believers, but you can't live in community with all believers everywhere all at once. This is something that has to be lived out in the local church. This is where we live it out. Being a part of a local church is how a Christian lives out the reality of what Christ has done in making them part of that larger church family. I like what Mark Dever writes. He's the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and he writes this in one of his books, Being united to Christ means being united to every Christian. But that universal union must be given a living, breathing existence in a local church. And that's what we're talking about here. The local church is where the Christian life is lived out. It's where it's strengthened. It's where it gives strength to others, right? 
In the church, we encourage one another to hold fast to that confession of our hope that Hebrews was talking about. We do that as we regularly meet together, as we worship alongside one another, as we walk through life together, as we partner with each other in the spread of the gospel and help each other grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, there are a lot of reasons that people go to church. Some go because they like uh, the music. Now, I'm not particularly a fan of polka, but I believe that you can find a church where you can worship in that way. Others enjoy listening to the pastor speak. And they, maybe they feel better about themselves if they listen to that long, excruciating sermon. And they say, boy, I suffer for Christ today. Let's go out someplace nice for lunch. Some go because they enjoy the social networking that takes place. And, and they experience something emotionally that they're not experiencing on the outside. They're getting a sense of belonging. Maybe it's helping them uh, even uh, work out their, their political thoughts or whatever. Maybe they're even benefiting economically. Some of them go because they, they think it's good for their children, and, and, they, and they come because they think that by spending time in the church and interacting and learning Bible stuff, that they're going to become a better person, and their children are going to become good people. And I suppose that there's probably even some who just come for the donuts. I haven't seen any of them, but uh, yeah. If you go to church for any of those reasons and others... I can see why you wouldn't think that a decision about where you are going to be a, a, a church member of, I could see how you would think that, that that really isn't that important. Because that kind of puts it on par with where you're going to go to lunch or, or what sport team you're going you're to root for. Well, I root for this team just because it's my area. I go to this church because it's down the street from me. If that's what church is about, by all means... Go to a church with the biggest budget. Go to a church with the best programs. Go to the church with the shortest, most engaging sermons, where there's killer worship music, where there's awesome first-class events. They have the Ferris wheels and the slides and the roller coasters and, and the fleet of ponies out there to, to entertain your children. Go to the church that's well-known. Go to the church that's best attended or where there's plenty of people at your age and stage. Go to that church. Go to the church that keeps the bathroom spotlessly clean. Now, we try hard here, but sometimes, you know. Go to the church where the, the room is just the temperature to your liking. I read a study this past week. And it said that 84% of Americans, can you, can you believe this? 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. 84% of Americans. How many, quote-unquote, Christians are represented in that group? Furthermore, it goes on to say 86% believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the thing you desire most. If that's your goal in life, then yes, please, go find the church that suits you. But if Christ is your Savior, 
you recognize he's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. If you see Christ in you uh, means being forever changed into the, this antithesis of who you were before, then being a part of, this, of, of the church, it's not driven by those sorts of old desires, is it? It mustn't be. It can't be. Church was never, first and foremost, supposed to be about those things, was it? Church is a place where you, you build relationships with your forever family. Church, look around you. You think you've been with these people for a little while? If they're truly believers and you're truly believer, they are your forever family. It's where pastors and elders, they hold you accountable they, they affirm whether or not they see the qualities of an actual genuine faith inside of you. It's, it's where you corporately worship your eternal, almighty creator. It's where, it's where you pour into others so that they might be built up into Christ and they pour into you. It's where you persevere together through the challenges and trials of life. It's where you prepare each other for your eternal home. It's where you lock arm in arm with others as you battle against the desires of your old flesh that war against your souls, right? It's where you, you, you train and equip one another to go out to a weary world and show them their one and only hope through your words, through your life. Do you know why you go to church? Now let me say this. We'll get kind of real for just a minute. I've realized that the world has been through a very difficult season, and I'm aware of health dangers that exist out there, and I know that the risk is greater for some than it is for others, but it just has to be said. And if you are online listening to this, I, I say this with, out of love and with the best intentions possible, it has to be said that watching a church service online is not the same as gathering with the people of God in person. This is not what it looks like to be part of a church. You may be able to sing, sing along with the songs. You may be able to listen to the message. Your heart and your soul may be impacted and encouraged by God's truth as it's proclaimed, but you're not able to be that member of the body that you were called and designed to be. Please hear me. Unless it's physically impossible or, or inherently life-threateningly dangerous, do not allow the convenience of online services to be an excuse to keep you away from the body of Christ and your place in it. Don't allow yourself to succumb to lame excuses. We use these all the time. I use these. I'm tired. I need a, I need a break. You know, everyone will be safer if I, if I just hold back, if I just stay at home. You know, I've been on this campus so much. Maybe you're a teacher here. You're here every single day. I had a rough week. I need to rest. No. 
No. What our souls need is to be with the people of God. And not only do they, 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 we need them, they need us. We must not underestimate the work that God does through us, through you. As you come and step onto this campus and meet with fellow believers, do not underestimate the impact that it has on me. I need you. You need each other. I think what many of us are, need is, is stop babying ourselves and obediently get with God's people to worship. They need us. His worship and the building up of His church far exceeds the importance of, of, of nursing our felt needs. We got to get ourselves into bed early Saturday night. That's where preparation to be with God's people begins. It, it, maybe we need to go out and buy that foghorn alarm that's just going to blow the sheets off of our beds. Maybe we need to go drink some of that motor oil thick coffee to wake us up. Go by car, go by boat, go by plane, go by skateboard, go by scooter. Whatever it takes, we need to get ourselves together with the people of God. It's that important. It's that important. And for those of us who have growing children, or maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're in high school, maybe you're thinking about where you're going to go off to college. If your kids or, or yourself are connected to a good church, think long and hard before leaving it or before sending your children away from it. There is no university, there is no scholarship, there is no opportunity that rises to the level of importance or eternal significance as a church that knows you, whose members have invested in you, and is there to build you up and keep you faithful until the day you meet your maker face to face. Far too many people these days are moving away from their, their churches. They're, they're sending their children off. Oh, they're going to get an amazing education out there. Can you believe the scholarship that they got? Can you believe the prestige of the institution that they're going to be a part of? They're leaving their churches for one excuse after another. And in many, many cases, the consequences are devastating. The consequences are eternal. Worth it? Not a chance. I would rather my children be working over at the local convenience store with no education and have a heart that beats for Jesus than any degree any institution can put their name on. And if you can't avoid relocating, I know that's the case for some, then we need to make sure that the lion's share of the research that we do is not about what school we're going to attend. And it's not about what job I'm going to take. It's not about whether or not that town has the stores that I like or whether that state agrees with me politically. It's not about that. 
make sure that we spend the most of our time, the most of our energy trying to figure out what church we're going to be a member of. Everything else is of fleeting importance. The partnership that you have with God's people is of eternal importance. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? So how do you choose the right church? How do you make that decision? How do you decide what church I'm going to be a member of? What, what is a good church? What is a healthy church? I'd just like to give you nine marks of a healthy church. Mark Dever wrote the book on this, and, and he would admit that there are other marks of church health, but, but these are, are, are a really good place to begin. In fact, if you look at a church and it, and it isn't marked by these nine things, then you want to ask yourself, why not? Something must not be quite right if they aren't defined by these. Number one, exegetical preaching. A big fancy word it simply means this, preaching that goes into God's word and pulls out and extracts from God's word what is said there, and then it dishes it out. That's exegetical preaching. It's actually the most important thing for a healthy church. You ask yourself, is this preaching exegetical? Is the pastor or preacher, whoever is speaking, or teacher in a classroom or in a community group, is, are they saying God's words, or are they just saying what they want to say? Or worse, are they just saying what they think that I want to hear? 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is happening today. It's happening all over the place today, and it is deadly. And we are seeing the results all over our world and in our country and in our communities of people who do not know God's truth and they are buying into all sorts of other messages that are out there, aren't they? The church is built and grown by the word of God. Without God's word, you don't have a church. <laughs> not Christ's church anyway. You don't have a people that have been called out of darkness. They're still in darkness. God's people live and breathe their entire existence, their growth, their well-being, their navigation through life is all dependent on God's word. You know, we know this. It was God's word that called the first people into existence all the way back in Genesis 1. God spoke, and the dust of the ground obeyed. Carbon molecules fused together. Nucleotides formed and jumped into those double helix lines. And moisture filled and infused cells. And laying before the maker was the very first human being. It started with his word. It started with his word. God's word called Abraham. Do you remember this? He called him out of that dark place, Ur, the place where moon worship was practiced. And he promised Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, 
all the nations of the world, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. In Ezekiel 37, God gives the prophet a word to share with the exiled Israelites in Babylon. A word about the resurrection that was going to come through his word. Ezekiel writes, the word of the Lord came to me. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus Christ is the eternal word made flesh. He's the word incarnate, living, breathing, walking, talking among us. Then in Romans 10, 17, Paul tells us the origin of our faith, the very thing that brings about our salvation and enables us to become the people of God is the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. God's word is what we we needed back then. It's what we need right now. You know, you you can look out at the sky... You can look and listen to the waves. You can, you can look at the valleys. You can look at the, the mountains. You can see the beauty of all creation, all, all that has been done. And you can say, you know what? There must have been someone intelligent that designed this. That's what logic, if you follow logic patterns, that's what it leads you to. But knowledge of Jesus only comes by special revelation of his word. God's word enables us to believe. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Then it transforms us. It sets us apart. It sanctifies us into the people that he has saved us to become. People who more clearly reflect Jesus Christ with our hearts, with our souls, with our minds. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 25, Christ loved the church gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The word is what makes his church. It's what nourishes his church. It's what guides his church. It's what cleanses and transforms his church. How do you decide what church you're going to be a member of? Step one, most important, because it impacts all of the others, is the preaching exegetical. One of the easiest ways to aim for exegetical preaching is simply to preach through chapters and books of the Bible and to bring out what it says. And that's, that's our goal here at Bethany. There's nothing flashy about this. We're just trying to extract truths and serve it up on a platter and say, here you go, church. This is what you need. This is life. This is transformative. May the Holy Spirit take this and and, and write it onto your hearts and your souls that you might go out believing it and living it. 
steady diet of a church must be the faithful preaching of God's word. It tells us what God has done. It tells us how God looks at the world. And don't you want to know how God looks at the world? I know I need to know how to look at the world. It tells us who God wants us to be. If you want to be something other than what God wants you to be, then, then you might as well go to a church that's going to preach from a different source. Exegetical preaching. Secondly, biblical theology. I've spent, I spent years with junior high and high school students telling them, you've got to open your Bibles, you've got to read regularly, you've got to be continually filling your mind with what it says. But you know, to read the Bible without coming to any conclusions, any concrete conclusions about what it says is to simply go by verse by verse without forming a framework in your mind that you can build your life upon. And that doesn't have much, much effect. And theology and doctrine, those sound like stale, rigid, somewhat irrelevant words, don't they? Trust me, they're not. What they are at their core is simply what we have come to know about God from his word. And it's consolidated into a nice little package. You and I must know what God has said about the things that matter most. You know, from its early, earliest beginnings, the church was nailing down these key truths that brought them together and at the same time set them apart from everyone else. One of the earliest is the saying that Paul cites in 1 Corinthians 15. Are you familiar with this? He writes, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. He received these truths from others. Now he's going to pass them on. What are they? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. These, these were simple core beliefs that the church had, had, had given Paul, and now he was giving out again to others. These are the most important things. We do the same thing today. A healthy church holds tightly to core beliefs that are, that are rooted and, and verified, validated by God's word. And we cherish these truths. We rally around these truths. They, they define for us what it is to be and what it is, what it is not to be, to be Christ's church. They tell us who God is. They tell us who we are. They tell us why the world is the way that it is and how Christ came to rescue it. Biblical theology is a mark of a healthy church. Thirdly, the gospel. Get this wrong and it's game over before you begin, right? It's game over. If a church doesn't get the gospel right, then you, you have no reason to believe that it's actually even the church. In fact, there are some very large gatherings out there whose leaders call themselves pastors and whose people would gladly tell you, oh yes, this is church, when they are no more saved than the next guy stumbling around out there in the dark trying to live his best life now. A church isn't healthy if it doesn't get the gospel right. Do you know if your church is faithfully preaching, proclaiming, holding to the gospel of Jesus, 
If someone said to you right now to share with them the gospel of Jesus, would you be able to share it with them? If you can't, what makes you think that you're a part of a gospel-loving, gospel-faithful church? <laughs> and furthermore, if, if, if you can't, then how do you even know if you're saved? How do you even know if you're believing the right things? How can you say that you are believing the truth if you can't even articulate it? Are we taking this seriously? See, there are a lot of messages out there today that are calling themselves or referred to as good news or the good news. And some of them sound really good, and so many of them have little nuggets of truth in them, like God loves you. It's true, not the gospel. That he has a plan for you, a wonderful plan for you. Follow this course, follow this list of, of, of items that I have laid out for you here, and you are going to have a better life. Sounds good. What about this? You, you can do it. You just got to discover the, the source of your power within. You know what? God wants you to realize how good you truly are. There are a lot of messages out there posing as the good news, but they fall short of the true, life-saving, eternity-securing gospel. If a church isn't holding tightly to and faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, then it isn't building the church. It may be filling stadiums full of people, and they're raising their hands, and they're swaying to the music, but ultimately... Ultimately, it's just helping line the halls of hell. Friends, we need to know the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. We need to share the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. The accurate, unashamed proclamation of the gospel is a mark of a healthy church. Along with gospel, a healthy church is going to have a biblical understanding of conversion. It, 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 it's going to understand that people aren't one to faith just because we pulled on their heartstrings, that we turned up the music at the right moment, that we asked them to come down the aisle or onto the field and pray a prayer. There was a time that I thought it was all about getting students to either raise their hand or look me in the eye after I gave them a gospel presentation. But real faith, real faith isn't something that I do or I somehow manipulate or, or, or lead people to do. Real faith is from the Holy Spirit. It's what He gives. In fact, if I lead someone to believe that they are a Christian just because they went through a few motions, then I might be doing more harm than good. Having never actually had genuine faith, never understanding what it meant to turn from their sin and turn to God, never having understood that becoming a Christian isn't about trying harder on your own, that it's all the work of Jesus Christ from beginning to end, 
If after coming down the aisle, they think that they are a Christian, but then have no real faith to enable them to persevere through the hard times and turn to Jesus after they fail again and again and again to experience his forgiveness, his newness, his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love, they may walk further away from Christ than they were before. But now they think that Christianity, I tried that. It doesn't work. This is serious business. That would be a tragedy. The Bible teaches us that conversion is God bringing us to himself, not us bringing ourselves to God. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. I chose you. Acts 16, 14, we read Paul sharing the gospel with, with a woman, and it says this, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It was the Lord that did it. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Fifthly, biblical understanding of evangelism. The church needs to know that it's called simply to be faithful witnesses. The Holy Spirit brings the heart change, not us. We're called to get the good news out. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's all we are, is witnesses. And that, that's a big responsibility in and of itself, but at the same time, it's a liberating reality, isn't it? It's liberating. All we have to do is get the good news out there, and then we rely on the Holy Spirit to awaken dead hearts and give them, give the hearers the power to respond in faith. So don't, we don't need to freak out at thinking that the eternal destiny of others is dependent on us. Well, you know, I, I, I can articulate the, the gospel, Pastor. I, I can do that, but I'm not sure I can do it in the most winsome way. I think you better step in. You better. No, no, no. We don't have to worry about that. Your job is just to be a witness to what Christ has done in you and a witness to his truth. He's going to take care of the rest. He's responsible for the rest. We don't need to stress out when... We see people saying, nah, I, I, I'm not interested. Like the guy that I chased down the street and walked away from me as I was sharing with him. Instead, we just obediently and faithfully get on with the business to which God has called us. Are you being a witness? There are a few other marks. Let me just touch on them very quickly. One is, uh, number six, a biblical understanding of church membership. And we'll talk about that more in the days ahead. What does it look like to be a member of a church? It's not about just signing on the dotted line. It's about crossing the line from being an attender to being a committed, faithful partner with other believers in the work of discipleship. Seventh, a biblical understanding of church discipline. This is probably the most popular by far. Everyone loves this one. <laughs> Healthy churches aren't here to keep people happy and making them feel affirmed. They're here to lead people to be holy. They're like martial arts studios where disciples learn together and sharpen their skills, undergo correction, and become more like Jesus. A church that fails to call its members out when they're falling out of fellowship, or they're falling into sin, maybe they're even running into sin, that's not doing anybody any favors. 
a biblical understanding of church discipline. Eight, a concern for discipleship and growth. We're called to be gospel witnesses, but it doesn't end there. Jesus said we are to go make disciples. That means walking beside people. It means investing in them. It means praying with them. It means helping them grow in their knowledge and application of God's word. Persevering with them through life's valleys. Do you see that in our church? It's one of the reasons we're starting the community group ministry. Partnering together that discipleship might happen. Finally, a biblical understanding of church leadership. This matters. Being a leader in the church is not about what kind of uh, business experience or skills that you can bring to the table. It's about the character within that God's Holy Spirit has developed and a desire that he has implanted to shepherd his people. And we're in the process of, of working through our church governance here at Bethany. And our, our, our goal is, is simply to be more biblical. If you and I are going to be picky about anything, the most important thing for us to be picky about is what church we're going to be a member of. No church is perfect. You've probably heard it said that if you, if you happen to find that perfect church, well, the moment that you step into it, then it's no longer going to be perfect anymore. It's true. Being a part of a local church is how you and I live out the reality of what Christ has done in making us part of his larger family. As we continue on together, let's intentionally be calling each other back to a church that is healthy, a church that is biblical, a church that hears, believes, relies on, and lives out God's word. Amen? Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for your life-giving word and your Holy Spirit that implants those truths inside of us and, and breathes life into them, opens our eyes to see them, to know them, to believe them, to trust them, to transform us through them. Father, we thank you for this miraculous work that you have done in making us your church. The things that we to do together, the, the time that we spend together, Lord, we do not take lightly. This is sacred. This is an eternal institution. All others will fade away, Lord. This lasts forever. And the object of our worship, Lord, is the most important being in the universe. May we not lose sight of that. May we be in awe of that. May we count it a privilege to gather. A privilege to lift our voices in praise so that the people sitting next to us hear it and might be encouraged by the truths that we are singing. Might be encouraged to know that they're not alone even though they feel that way so very often throughout the week. Lord, that you would prepare us You'd refine, you'd mold and shape us into the people that you want us to be. Thank you for your church. The beautiful work of Christ has created this church. We thank you and we praise you.
And we look to you, Lord, for the days ahead. Would you lead and guide us as a church that we might be a people that bring you glory and bring good, the good of the gospel to all those we come in contact with. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. And every-